There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your all-living home. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. sorry i'm still a newbie <laughs> good morning grace life it's so is it normally this dark when you look out into the audience i feel like i'm squinting just to see your faces 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean you had to turn the lights up. I just wanted you to know that's why I look so weird, and it's also because I might need glasses. Uh, good morning to everyone uh, that got to join us in person this morning. Also, good morning to all of our friends that are joining us from home. Um, every time I come to church, and I don't get paid to say this, it's like I'm looking forward to my favorite place on earth. I really, I don't get paid to say that. <laughs> but um, it really is. Uh, the scripture that says, it is, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And um, this is my happy place. This is where I, um, I just received so much from the Lord and from you all. And for those of us that are able to be in person, um, I know we feel so blessed, but I, my heart is always uh, just going out to those who really can't be with us in face-to-face, but I want you to know, too, um, if you're watching us online right now, that you are still with us in spirit, you are still with us in heart, and that, um, that we love you, and you are, uh, there's an empty seat at the table, it feels like, and your presence is missed, uh, but we still pray for you, and we long for, we long for those days that we can be together, we can embrace one another. Um, I was just thinking of a quote I heard earlier this week, and it said, Something to the effect, I don't even know if it was a Christian um, who wrote the quote, it's really short, and it said, we're all just walking each other home. And I was thinking about that this morning, uh, just knowing I'm going to come up here and say hi to everyone, and um, just reflecting on how true that is for this, this journey here on earth, that we are put on this earth to, um, to walk each other home. And that walk is not always a walk in the park. <laughs> At least in my case, that hasn't always felt that way. And for many of my friends, I know that, um, that they, they understand the, the same sentiment, that it's hard. And sometimes we lose our way. And, um, and sometimes the journey is just brings us to our knees. And um, I think about in scripture where it says, woe to him who falls down and has no one to lift him up. And so uh, just thinking about that God has called us to to walk each other home, and not just home to a place, but home to a person, day in and day out. And at Grace Life from the beginning, our heart has always been that there is so much more room for others to join us on this walk. And, um, and that's our Grace Life welcome, which I'm about to, to share with you. Uh, this is our open invitation. This is for everyone who is already on this walk, walking each other to our, our place of home, to Jesus. And those we beckon along the way and say, join us, join us. Um, there's safety in numbers. <laughs> God intends for us to do this together and not alone. So let me read the Grace Life Welcome. To all who mourn and need comfort, to all who are weary and need rest, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and to whoever else will come, Grace Life Church opens wide her doors and our arms in the name of Jesus Christ and offers welcome. Welcome. Good morning, church. Let's stand together and worship our king this morning.
Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to grace. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
You are good, you are good when there's nothing good in me. You are love, you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light when the darkness closes in. You are hope, you are hope, you have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace when my fear is crippling. You are truth, you are truth even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy, you're the reason that I see. You are life, you are life. In you, death has lost its sting. And oh, I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. Nothing compares to your embrace. Light of
Father God, we just want to praise you this morning, Father God, as you allow us into your presence, Father. We just want to tell of all, everything you've done for us, Father God, and give you praise and glory and honor for everything. Father God, that you would be able to come down to this earth and love us as sinners, Father, and die on the cross for us, Father. We just praise you this morning, Father God, and we just want to lift up your praise.
This next song kind of goes hand in hand with our, uh, with our welcome. You know, we can come as we are together. We can come as we are in the presence of, of God because Jesus Christ's blood, it, it makes us worthy. We can come here today with all of our baggage and all of our pain and suffering, and we can lay it down at the foot of the cross. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Let's just think of that reality as we sing this next song.
There's joy for the morning, oh sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. thank you that you are the one that makes us clean, Lord. It's not from our own doing, Father. It's all from you, Lord, and we thank you for that. Lord, I pray for Tommy as he comes back to the pulpit this Sunday. Lord, I pray that you speak through him, Lord, and speak through this word that he's been preparing and that you've been preparing through him, Father. And Lord, I pray that it speaks to our hearts, Lord, in the deepest level, Father. I just pray that we can just be overwhelmed with your presence and your love this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Check. There we go. Today's verse is going to be uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 13, if you guys want to have your Bibles open. It's also going to be on the screen. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the, scheme, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The second verse is going to be 2 Corinthians 11, 2 through 4. It's also be up on the screen. For I feel divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you, sorry guys, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ, but I am afraid as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts to be led astray from a sincere and pure devo devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus that you, that you are, man, sorry guys, I'm trying to read this on my thing. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Good morning, Grace Life. It is good to be back. And you have uh, been taken good care of by some of the preachers, all the preachers that have been in this pool. But I'm thankful for Anthony and for Kyle and for Curtis last week. And I'm really thankful to you for just a, a short break from 
from the pulpit that's been really helpful to me and to my family. And uh, last Sunday was the first week we haven't been to this church, and it seems like forever. And uh, we missed you, and it's good to be back. And, and I'm really excited just to share what, what God has laid on my heart for this week and next. And uh, just want to thank you for, for the break. So let's just pause and pray, and then we'll, you can keep your Bibles open to those passages. We're going to be referring to those, and we'll jump right in. Father, it's good for us to, to just pause for a second and acknowledge why we're here, why we need to be here, Lord, because we're weaker and we're worse off apart than we are together. We need you and we need the means of grace that you've given us. We need your word. We need your spirit. And we need your people. And so help us to meet with you today. Come and meet us, Lord. Show up and and surprise us today as I prayed earlier. Just touch us in a, in a powerful way. May we leave transformed and helped and challenged and encouraged from maybe a surprising source, Lord. Maybe just a conversation on the way in or the way out or a passing comment somebody made or a prayer somebody offered over us or a lyric that we sang already or a sentence from this message or just from hanging out in the lobby afterwards or in the parking lot. I pray you would come and meet with your people you have promised to be present in power and in purpose when we gather together regularly, Lord, to proclaim your goodness, to walk in the light together, to celebrate the finished work of Jesus, and to pray and ask for your help. So meet with us today and remove any distractions. I pray everyone brought their problems in here with them, Lord, because this is where, we, this is where they're dealt with, one of the places, one of the most powerful places, but I pray nobody would be distracted. And that you would anoint me, Lord, I'm just a mere man and depend on your Holy Spirit to help me and to fill me and to give me unction and clarity and presence of mind and clarity of thought. So I pray that your people would be helped and nothing would be said that's confusing or incomplete or worse wrong. Lord, it would all be according to your word and your spirit. In his name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, the title of this message is uh, Don't Fall For It. Don't Fall For It. And that comes from the passage that was read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And that's actually a pastor's letter. The Apostle Paul was a pastor amongst other things, and he wrote letters to the churches that he planted. And Corinthians was a particularly troubled church, filled with troubled people who were trying the best they could to follow Jesus and were being attacked by Satan. And Paul is, is spelling out his fears in this letter, his concerns for them. And at this point in the argument in chapter 11, it's near the end of the letter, he's coming clean about what concerned him. And I, as I read that letter as a pastor, um, it resonates how a pastor feels this divine jealousy. Did you read that? He said, I'm jealous for you. He said, I feel this divine jealousy for you to present you as a bride is presented by her father to the new groom on their wedding day, pure and chaste and protected and clean. He says, I feel this, this jealousy. I betrothed you. You're engaged, and now there's this waiting period. You know, in, in ancient times in Israel, when you were betrothed, the period of waiting would be about a year, and the husband would go, and I think Cliff talked about this in his message last year. He would be working on the house, which is why Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. He would work on the house, and, and they were engaged, and it's a lot more of a powerful engagement than, than we see today. They were viewed virtually as married. 
So any act of infidelity or unfaithfulness would be seen as a, as a breach of a covenant promise. And Paul feels that pressure as the pastor. He says, look, you've came to Christ. You've given your life to Jesus. And I introduced you to him. And now you're engaged. You're betrothed. And there's this period of waiting when Christ is going to return and the wedding day is going to be celebrated by everybody. But I have a concern. He says, I have this fear that you are being led astray down this path of infidelity. You're being enticed. You're being seduced. In fact, I think I have... I think I have that passage up here. Yeah, here we go. He says, for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, he says, you put up with it readily enough. That's one word in Greek, and it means you're, you fall for it. You're falling for it. You're being enticed. You're being seduced. Lies are being whispered to you. This false narrative is being presented to you, and you're putting up with it readily. You're falling for it. And somebody is involved in this seduction, this diabolical person, Satan. He's seducing you. He's being deceitful. He's being cunning, and he's doing the exact same thing that he's always done. Since the beginning of the world being created by God, he's seducing people and deceiving people and tricking people. And Paul says, I'm afraid. It's really interesting. You read this letter, and if you're not careful, you miss it. Here's the Apostle Paul, Christian, missionary, apostle of God, raised people from the dead, stared demons in the face and cast them out, and he says two things. One, he says, I'm jealous. Well, that's weird. (laughs) The second thing he says is, I'm afraid. The word phobia is used in Greek. Paul says, I'm scared. You say, whoa, you're an apostle. What are you scared of? Oh, I'm scared for you. I'm scared for you. I'm concerned. I see symptoms that are troubling me and keep me up at night, awake in bed, praying for you. So I'm going to take, we're going to go back to that passage actually next week, but I want to take that part of the passage. You put up with it readily enough. If Satan comes and seduces you and entices you, you're falling for it. You're putting up with it, he says. So I want to take that um, and just kind of launch into a two-week talk about don't fall for it. Don't believe the lies of Satan. And so here's the outline today. We have three points. Don't fall for it. How can you not fall for it? How does Satan get us? How does he hook us? Well, I think we see three ways when we look at this passage in Ephesians 6. The first way is ignorance. Ignorance. And the second way is apathy. And then the third way is anguish. So those... Those are the slides we're going to look at. And here's, here's the first way that, that we fall for it, that we put up with it. We are ignorant of this spiritual battle that's invisible, that is going on all around us and above us, and if we're honest, inside of us. And I think a very large portion of the Christian body today is maybe totally ignorant of that. They've either forgotten it or they're dismissive of it altogether and think it's silly to believe in a personal devil But I want to show you what this passage says in Ephesians 6, (laughs) and you tell me if the Apostle Paul is using words to get our attention. Look what he says here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, when you hear that, he hasn't even talked about a battle yet. Does he even need to? He does. He will. He is. But he's already gotten your attention and says, hey, look, you need armor. 
When you think of armor, what do you think? You may think of going to the gym, under armor, but that's not what he means. He's talking about being equipped for battle. There's this armor that belongs to God. It's his armor. He's given it to you, some assembly required, right? It's really interesting in Greek. This is both in the passive and it's in the uh, imperative. Something's been done for you, and there's something yet for you to do too. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against, against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, that means to oppose successfully, in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There is a spiritual battle that is being waged and raged all around us. And I think it's really easy for us to forget that. And I think that's exactly what Satan wants us to do. That's one of his methods. By the way, the word for schemes there is methodius in Greek, which is what word do we get from that? Methods. Satan has methods. He has schemes. He has devices. He has a playbook. He has a strategy. That much you can say about the powers of darkness. There is definitely a strategy that they have. They're not willy-nilly, fly out of the seat of, your pant, seat of their pants, They definitely have a purpose and a strategy, and it's talked about constantly in the New Testament. Jesus talked about him the most. He said he's a thief, he's a a robber, he's a killer, he's a murderer, and above all else, he's a what? He's a liar. He's the father of lies. There's no truth in him. He's an accuser. He's a slanderer. He's tricky. He's crafty. He's cunning. There's this cosmic battle, really for good and for evil, that's, that's being waged all across the world. It doesn't matter where you go, how sophisticated of a place or how remote of a place. That battle, you're going to find evidence and symptoms of a battle there. We see that every day. For many people, I know as a pastor in 2020, I know to many people that sounds so ridiculous. Come on, pastor, it's 2020. We're so much more civilized and sophisticated. Really? We, we believe in God, we believe in the Bible, but a personal devil, talking snake, come on, shake the hayseed out of your hair. That's so archaic, that's so outdated. We know now we have the sophistication and the technology and the knowledge to know that really a lot of the things that we thought were demonic were maybe more behavioral, more mental awareness, mental health. Come on, pastor. You know what Jesus said? He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Was Jesus deluded? Did Jesus need to wake up and get with the times? He said, I remember. I was there. I saw it. He had a personal conflict with Satan in the wilderness for 40 days and withstood it. I think Satan wants us to have uh, maybe two, two extreme reactions. One is that, just to completely be dismissive of it altogether and think we're much too civilized for that. The personal devil. How can we take... Christianity and the claims of the Bible serious when it's talking about this devil. Come on. And others obsess over Satan's existence. If you get a cold, it's the devil. If your lawn turns brown, the devil. You miss that parking spot, it's Satan. So people are either dismissive or obsessive. Now, when I was a young teenager in the late 80s and early 90s, 
I lived in the Bible Belt in the South, and we were often warned about the satanic dangers that were pervasive all around us. Everything was suspect. And look, I don't want to be totally dismissive because some of these things, no doubt, Satan uses. Everything was suspect. Heavy metal music, games like Dungeons and Dragons, dolls and action figures, even Saturday morning cartoons like Thundercats, He-Man, Skeletor, <laughs> Smurfs. Some people got really adamant. Scooby-Doo. There was this satanic panic that took over the culture. I remember like Geraldo Rivera doing 60 Minutes in 2020 and talking about, you know, back then I had hair and it was blonde and I had bright blue eyes. And I remember hearing about, hey, they're looking for a blue-haired, blue-eyed, blonde. <clears throat> anyway, kids like me to, for sacrifice. I'm not trying to scare the kids in here. But seriously, that's what, in the Bible Belt, that was Satan's strategy. If a dead cat showed up in the neighborhood... There were devil worshipers, and that was their sacrifice. It was satanic panic everywhere. Everything was satanic, and I remember going to bed afraid. I, believe, I think I would believe, if you would have said sovereignty back then and explained it, I would have believed that in the sovereignty of Satan, that he's everywhere and that he's in everything, and he has this mighty power, and look out, he's going to get you. So I was obsessive over the devil. Some people are totally dismissive, and I think Satan's perfectly happy with both of those responses. The truth is, from the cradle to the coffin, life is a war. Have you felt that? Have you seen that? Have you experienced that? Life is a war, all of it. Whether you're at work or you're at home or you're at school, everything is this battlefield for conflict and will be. You know, I hate to do this, but it's my first week back, and I, I'm going to quote Lord of the Rings. There's this passage that, that helps understand maybe what's, what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's in the movie, but it's better in the book. It's when they just had the fellowship has been established, and they're on this urgent mission to take this evil ring back to where it was created and throw it into the fires of Mount Doom and destroy it forever. And this fellowship, an elf, a dwarf, a man, a king, uh, a wizard, Gandalf, they're all together, and they're traveling on this mission. And the first thing that happens is they're, they're met with this blinding blizzard on the mountain trying to get to where they're going. Now check this out. The wind whistled and the snow became a blinding blizzard. The company halted suddenly as if they had come to an agreement without any words being spoken. They heard eerie noises in the darkness around them. It may have been only a trick of the wind and the cracks and gullies of the rocky wall, but the sounds were those of shrill cries and wild howls of laughter. Stones began to fall from the mountainside, whistling over their heads or crashing onto the path beside them. Every now and again, they heard a dull rumble as a great boulder rolled down from hidden heights above. We cannot go further tonight, said Boromir. Let those call it the wind who will. There are fell voices on the air, and those stones are aimed at us. Have you ever felt like that? Oh, it's just a coincidence. It's all a coincidence. Have you ever felt like what Paul talked about? This is an evil day. It seems like there's forces that are all arrayed against me, and maybe it's because they are. <laughs> maybe it's because they are. I think Christians, of all people, ought to be able to understand that evil and, and suffering and pain is not just one-dimensional. Sometimes it's multi-dimensional. It defies just a quick, easy, cheap explanation. That's why so many political systems fail. We can't look at our problems, whether they're social or whether they're personal, 
and think they're merely human problems. What's Paul say? We don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. There's a deeper issue going on that's invisible that Satan would love for you to be ignorant of or dismissive about. Obsessive or dismissive. A Christian is somebody that knows when you look at a problem, anything from poverty to violence to personal depression, relational conflict, you're looking at more than a flesh and blood struggle. You are. There was a headline uh, last week. I hope this doesn't scare anybody, but I just thought, you know, I, I'm, I'm a visual learner, and this happened in Orange City last week. Here's the headline. Teen's face slashed in apparent random attack in Orange City. It's inexplicable was a quote that the father gave. He said it was a random attack, and it's inexplicable, meaning he said, my son and I just moved here. We had no conflict with anybody. There was no fights. We have no enemies. My son was playing basketball at a local park in Orange City. He's a young teenager on a Saturday afternoon. He's walking home. Out of nowhere, this guy came up, grabbed him, took a knife, slashed him from the ear to the mouth, 42 stitches, one inch deep, and ran away. Thankfully, they arrested him, so don't be afraid. This guy's in custody, and he's been arrested. But the father said it's inexplicable. You know what that word means? There's no explanation for this. It was just random. It just happened. I don't believe things just happen randomly. We don't always know what the explanation is, and we need to be careful about that. Christians can, can go too far sometimes and think we've been in the eternal counsels of God, and we know this is satanic, this is behavioral, this is fill in the blank. But we're not naive either to think that things are just merely human. It was interesting because somebody came forward and said, yeah, uh, that's a family friend of mine. He came to my house and said he was off of his meds. So then the psychiatrist says, oh, well, it's just behavioral and it was just he was off his medication, which I'm sure is true. And thank God for medication. But I don't merely believe every time you don't see random people running up the strangers hugging them, do you? (laughs) Why is it when we get off our meds, we don't just do random acts of kindness? There's got to be violence. All I'm saying is there's an invisible battle around us and there's cosmic forces at play and Satan would love for you to chalk it up to coincidence or being inexplicable or just random or just somebody having a bad day when the Bible says right here in Ephesians 6, six times against, 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 against. And I'm not saying that kid was a Christian. That's just a, maybe a generic example. Satan definitely has Christians in the church in his crosshairs. I don't know, maybe that was like the... I don't know, forget the dumb illustration. If, if Satan is trying to plunder Christians like a robber is going to rob somebody's house, maybe the kid was just like the dog on the way there he kicked because he was cruel. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't think anything's random, though. I don't believe that. And the Bible doesn't give us an explanation like that. Evil is not simply one-dimensional. So the answer can't be one-dimensional. Somebody sees violence and poverty in a neighborhood and they say, Maybe the socialist says, well, it's educational. We just need to get good schools. Maybe the psychiatrist says, you know, there's social constructs here and there's dysfunction and there needs to be uh, mental health assessment and medication possibly. The Christian looks at it and says there's multiple things going on here because evil and suffering and pain and brokenness is never just one-dimensional. Christianity looks at messed up families, messed up hearts, messed up neighborhoods, and a messed up world and can acknowledge there are some factors at play that are flesh and blood, but there's other factors that are satanic. 
And we don't spend all our time trying to figure out which one, where it stops and where it starts. We, we direct our attention to making sure we have our armor on. That's what Paul's leaving us with. He's not saying play the guessing game, you know. He says, no, there's cosmic battle. You've got a crosshair on your head, but don't worry. God's given you the divine resources you need to succeed and to withstand the enemy. Thank God for that. And I think where we're at right now, I mean, it is uh, October 31st is coming up, so there's spookiness in the air, right? <laughs> so this is kind of scary to think about, but there's good news too. There's an election coming, there's politics, there's protests, there's a pandemic. For some people, all of those have a very simple explanation. I'm sure I've heard them. But for a Christian, there's a, I know there's a spiritual war, and I know how Satan... If he didn't directly cause or influence any of those things, I know how he would leverage them, and he would want it to be about flesh and blood, flesh and blood. So it's just, it's Democrats versus Republican, and that's the answer, right? Is that what's going on? <laughs> or it's a husband against a wife, or it's blue lives matter versus black lives matter, right? It's just, it's real simple and, and easy to, to understand and explain. I don't think so. The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But that's what Satan would love for you to think. He would, he would love to redirect you. He doesn't want you to know who the real enemy is. Husband and wife, right? Children, parents. He wants you to think it's just a flesh and blood. That's all that it is. That's one of Satan's schemes, who the enemy really is. This is what Richard Lovelace said. He wrote a book in the 70s that just blows me away how relevant it still is today. You know what? Let me get that off. <laughs> you don't want to keep looking at that headline, do you? This is what he said. Most of the devil's advantage depends on his ability to, to move among human affairs undetected. Oh, man, I never started my watch here. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some kid laughed and another kid said, uh-oh. <laughs> It depends on his ability to, to move among human affairs undetected. If a thorough knowledge of his devices were widely taught among the churches, the Christian warfare for the extension of Christ's kingdom would be immeasurably strengthened. In the present situation, we are often operating like an army without intelligence, beating the air and one another up at all times, fighting flesh and blood instead of the principalities and powers which lie behind them. When Satan says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, he's not saying we don't have conflict with flesh and blood. We do. But sometimes there's deeper issues going on there that if, we're, if we look around, our armor's not on. I always, you ever see those cliffhanger movies where somebody's in this life and death struggle and there's a weapon just out of their reach and they're stretching and you're like, oh, come on, get it. It's like, you should have had that already, bro. You're dead. <laughs> Should have been packing heat, you know? Should have had that knife or whatever it is. There's an invisible battle. There are dark, evil, supernatural forces arrayed against us. That's not being archaic to say that. That's being biblical. That's believing what the Bible says. Christianity has the resources to explain what we see and experience in the world and in here. Multidimensional. And the fact that it says that you'll be able to withstand on the evil day, uh, the evil day, that would be, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, that would be when 
everything seems like it's going against you, like your world is caving in. And I can just give you personal testimony. I've had an amazing time. I've had an amazing, refreshing time where I've gotten a lot of stuff done. I feel like I've even more deeply connected to my family, to my kids. My wife gave me a to-do list. I almost finished the whole thing. And just some of you may be able to, to understand what I'm saying. Maybe all of you will. When I'm reading my Bible the last three weeks, it hasn't been thinking about how I'm going to explain that to you on Sunday. It's been more personal and personally enriching for me. And I've had some amazing times of prayer. This is not me bragging. This is, this is me illustrating something. And then out of nowhere, out of the clear blue sky, an evil day came. And it, was, it wasn't inexplicable now that I look back on it. It was perfectly understandable. Thomas Brooks wrote a book, and it's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And he says that Satan is a pirate, and he is a cunning pirate, and he only attacks ships that have rich merchandise. And I'm not saying he only targets important people. I'm saying when an evil day finds you, it's probably because you've just really experienced deep communion with God, <laughs> right? So Satan's this pirate, and he's looking for some rich merchandise, a vessel that actually has something in it. And here's Tommy reconnected with his family, walking with the Lord, experiencing communion, walking on cloud, li- cloud nine, thinking I'm a spiritual, you know, he-man. And then, bam, I just felt, I felt all these things. Sarah and I talked about it later. Just, we had conflict and an argument, and it was ugly. It got really ugly. But you know what? It got really sweet and beautiful, and there was reconciliation. And part of it, I'm like, oh, I'm, t- I'm preaching on this. That's what it is. But another part is just reality of an evil day. Have you ever had an evil day when it seems like the bottom falls out? You get that phone call, you check the history on somebody's internet browser, you read your kid's text, you look at your bank account, <laughs> I don't, whatever it is, it's an evil day. And you just, it takes the breath right out of you. And Paul's saying, that day requires armor like no other, like no other. That's what he's saying. Timothy Keller said, when that evil day hits, you could try to talk yourself out of this as a series of coincidences on these evil days, or you can say this is a day in which the forces of supernatural evil are in particularly arrayed against me, and I have to put on the armor of God and stand. Paul is saying on the evil day when you feel like somebody is out to get me, maybe somebody is out to get you. But that's okay. You've got protection. You've got resources from God that are more than able to help you withstand so that you don't have to fall for it. And a real Christian can be known, listen, by, as much by his inward warfare as by his inward peace. I love the fact that Paul just is honest in this letter. He doesn't say, well, that's pretty much everything I have to say, sincerely, your friend, Paul. <laughs> he says, finally, by the way, I've just laid out for you God's grand redemptive plan to reconcile the world to himself, and you're going to be the point of his gospel spear, the sharpest instrument in his drawer. And you're going to go out there, and you're going to take the world by storm and penetrate the forces of darkness. And he says, before you go, just know this, you're going to be fulfilling Jesus' mission for the world in hostile territory. And there's going to be ballistic missiles that are going to be fired at you while you're carrying out these orders. In fact, it's interesting, uh, when he says the fiery darts, the shield of faith is used to quench the fiery darts. The adjective in Greek is ballistos. (laughs) Does that sound familiar? Any of you military people out there? ballistic missiles. (laughs) Don't you love the word pictures that scripture gives us? It's going to be missiles 
fired at you, to oppose you, to withstand you, to discourage you. But God's given you armor. So that's the first thing is ignorance. Are you ignorant of this battle going on around you? God doesn't want you to obsess over it. In fact, if we're done here today and you leave afraid, I will feel like I have failed as your pastor. I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to be aware. That's what the Bible says over and over. Peter, he says, be sober-minded, be vigilant, because your enemy walks around like a prowling lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what Peter says and so many others. So Paul is helping us to, to be ready. Here's point two. Here's the second way he can get you, okay? Or you fall for it, I should say. Apathy. You know there's an invisible battle. You're just indifferent. You're just dismissive. You're just indifferent. You just don't really want to fight. It's not because you feel overwhelmed or you sense this pressure. You're just not in the battle. You're not in the game. I remember reading Stephen Ambrose wrote a book, Band of Brothers. It became an HBO special years ago. And there was a guy named uh, Lieutenant Norman Dyke. And he had to take over Easy Company, 150 soldiers, lead them in the battle. And he came for money, and all he wanted to do was get a bunch of badges on his chest. He wanted to push paper, but he had to go and fight in battle for six months to be able to get promoted. And so for the six months that he was in command, more men lost their lives in Easy Company than any other time. And people would write about it and say they called him Foxhole Norman. They called him Foxhole Norman. And the question that was always being asked is, where's Lieutenant Dyke? Where's Lieutenant Dyke? I don't know. Have you seen him? I don't know. He was unengaged. He was unwilling to engage the enemy, even though he knew that there was a battle going on for, for the world <laughs> against this monster named Hitler. Most of the time, he would be found in his foxhole, cowering away. And so often, I think that's what happens with Christians is we're just indifferent and we're apathetic. And maybe it's because we forget that we face a formidable opponent. You know, in this passage, it says that there are rulers and there are principalities. You know that he's, he's organized. The forces of darkness are organized. If nothing else, they have order. There's a hierarchy. They have like a strategy. They're powerful. They're diabolical. They're evil. They're cunning. You could take everything that the Bible says about Satan and put it into a document, and it wouldn't take you very long at all to finish reading it. It didn't take me very long to, you know, when I talk about spiritual warfare, to study everything the Bible has to say. But if you were to take the Bible and pull everything out of it that Satan played a role in, you could, then if you could read the book of history and know for certain these are the things that Satan and his henchmen influenced, you'd be reading the rest of your life, even if you had longevity. Because <laughs> his hands are in so many things, the Bible says, right? The first sin that our parents committed, Adam and Eve, they were enticed by the serpent, right? His presence in the Bible and in the history of God's work in the world is pervasive. There's, how many books are in the New Testament, kids? Anybody know? 27. Do you know how many books in the New Testament either explicitly or implicitly mention Satan or demons? 26. So what does that tell you? <laughs> pervasive. His work is pervasive. When you read the Old Testament, you're going to find that characters come and go really quickly. Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and David. They have a few pages, some more than others, and they go away. And even some of the villains go away after a while. Pharaoh went bye-bye. Saul got knocked off, right? Jezebel's long forgotten, but there's one villain that keeps popping up throughout the thousand-year history of Israel and the world. 
his activity continues, and the Bible still treats him as a threat to us and tells us to resist him. So for those of you who, uh, who may feel this, this pull on you to be apathetic and indifferent, to clock out, to be a foxhole Norman, to not engage in the battle, I want to tell you there is something for you to do. The Bible is calling for you to exert some, some energy. Look what it says here. James 4, submit yourself therefore to God and what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. That's an active imperative command, resist. And that's James. Here's Peter. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your adversary, you have an adversary. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. So there's James, there's Peter, here's Paul. Give no opportunity to the devil from Ephesians. And then here's John. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So some of these are commands for you to do. Resist, be aware, be sober-minded, be engaged in the battle. Know that there's ballistic missiles flying overhead and you're in the battle. It's like you're walking to see a... uh, a basketball game, and you walk right down onto the court. If you're the minute you gave your life to Christ, you're in the court, you're in the battle. Really, whether you want to be or not, right? Paul didn't say put on your PJs and offer you movie tickets and popcorn. <laughs> he said, here's your armor, put it on, there's a battle. You're going to need it. Some assembly required. You cannot, you cannot do what these verses tell us to do if you're living in ignorance or if you're living in apathy. You can't do it. And have you felt seasons of defeat and discouragement are known Christians that have? They're just like clocked out and they're checked out. And I think if you could scratch the surface of what's going on in their heart, there's spiritual warfare that's taking place and and they're, they're playing a very inactive and passive role. And they've fallen for it. They've fallen for it. They're out of the game. They're out of the mission. Satan is... Powerful, he's organized. Jesus even called him the prince of the power of the air and the God of this age. He takes men and women captive to do his will. He blinds them to the glories of Christ. And he's cunning. You know, however old you believe the world is, I take Genesis literal, probably between 6,000, 10,000 years old if you read through those genealogies. But just imagine this. Satan's had that long to watch, study, and observe human beings, what makes them tick, and what causes them to fall. I mean, if you could say that Satan is a, I'm not casting an evil shadow on psychology, because all that word means is the study of human behavior. But if Satan was a psychologist, he's the best one, because he's had the longest to do case studies on human beings, right? I mean, how long have you been alive? Do you feel like you know a thing or two about what makes people tick? God forbid, but if you were Satan, how would you tempt yourself? (laughs) Now think of the devil who's had thousands of years to watch people just like you and understand. I mean, if if you think about, think about the children of Israel when they went out to war against the Philistine army. And for 40 days and 40 nights, they didn't lift a finger, shoot an arrow, or you know, draw their sword. Why? They were afraid for 40 days and 40 nights. Why? Because this giant Philistine that was the champion taunted them. 40 days and 40 nights, he taunted them. 
and he scared them. They were afraid. I, I think Satan uses fear and guilt and shame probably more than anything else. And with men, lust and then shame and guilt and fear of being discovered. Satan, that's, that's his methodius. That's his methods. That's his devices. He loves to steal identities. Sarah and I had our identity stolen last week, apparently. Man, that's a terrible thing to find out, isn't it? And then we got an email from a bank that we use, and they say, hey, just so all of our bank users know your information has been compromised. Basically, they're owning up. It's their fault. And now my information's out there, and I'm getting calls from Dell Computer saying, were you able to, to complete your purchase? And I'm like, what purchase? I don't use Dell. Who is this? <laughs> And then I hung up and I called him back, and the phone number was actually Dell, a Dell representative. For the first time, it wasn't a scandal or a hack. I'm like, oh, no, somebody's trying to buy expensive Dell computers, and they're saying that they're me. My identity's been stolen. You ever feel like that? Spiritually, your identity's been stolen. You don't even know who you are anymore. Do you belong to God, or are you a real Christian? That's how Satan operates. And 2 Corinthians 2 says, we are not ignorant of his schemes. One of the best illustrations about how Satan works was by a man named John White, and he describes Satan's work like this. He says, imagine that you open a piano and you sing a note into it. Now, I'm not a musician, and I've never done this. He said, if your pitch is good enough, I think mine would probably be good enough. I don't know. <laughs> if your pitch is good enough, it will, make a, it will, it will strike a string. If you're singing in, you know, middle C or, what, is that a pitch? Middle C, a chord, a note, melody, whatever. That string will vibrate on the piano if your voice is close enough. And he says, the devil's work is the same with us. He hums a note by telling a lie that resonates with our tendencies. In other words, if I walk over to that piano there and we lift the lid and I sing middle C loud and accurately, middle C is going to vibrate. And what he's saying is, Satan's a musician, but he needs an instrument. He needs a violin or a trumpet or a guitar. And he's going to sing your song. He's been watching for thousands of years, and he knows what song. What song is it? With Peter, do you remember Peter? He said, Lord, I'll never, I'll never deny you. Ever. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked. He's demanded to sift you. That means to separate you. Sift you like wheat. And then he said this. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've come back to the brethren, strengthen them. Satan knew Peter's song, didn't he? Peter gave Satan an instrument. He said, here you go, Satan. And Satan hummed that tune of pride and arrogance. And sure enough, Peter bit. You know what's interesting about that passage in Luke 22? When Jesus says, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, the word for fail is eclipso. Any clue as to what word we get from that? Eclipse, block. Jesus says, I have prayed that your faith, the object of your faith, can't get completely blocked out and overshadowed. Meaning you're always going to see me, Peter. There may be a dark, evil day, but you're going to be able to see me and you're going to come back. I'm going to restore you. I think that's one of Satan's favorite devices is to eclipse the glory and the beauty and the power and the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus so that you don't see it. You're so distracted and overwhelmed with other things that you're seeing. That's one of the ways you resist Satan is by the beauties and the glories of the gospel and of Christ. Satan wants to eclipse that with your guilt and your shame, your sickness, your trial, your evil, your sins, the conflict in your 
home and marriage and job and relationships. That's what he does. Thomas Brooks said this. He said, Satan is a parasite before he is a tyrant. I read that. I've been thinking about that quote all week. He's a parasite before he's a tyrant. What does that mean? Do you know how Satan works? First, he says, you deserve this. You've been working hard. Whatever it is, whether it's an affair, just a few, just a few beers, or just to click on this, just this one time, it would excite you. Or you know what? Go ahead and tear that person to pieces with a little gossip. And if you deserve it, and they've really wronged you. Whatever it is, Satan's a parasite. He'll go along with it. Or he'll attach to something good. Like, you got to work hard if you're going to rise up in the company. you got to stay late. And then he's a tyrant. What does that mean? Then he becomes a tyrant. He turns on you. Oh, you deserve this. Oh, it's not a big deal. God will forgive you. Plenty of other people struggle with this. Don't worry about it. And then he turns on you. You're the worst Christian who's ever lived. I can't believe you would do that to Jesus who died for you. God's never going to forgive you. Oh, if anybody finds out, you're finished. See, he's a parasite, and then he's a tyrant. Have you felt that? Have you experienced that? I have. I have a lot. He's very cunning. He's too cunning for us on our own, apart from the armor of God, apart from the word of God. We won't be able to withstand him. He loves to distract us from the real battle. C.S. Lewis said this, talking about eclipse. Listen to this. This is a great quote from a book that C.S. Lewis wrote um, called Screwtape Letters. I'm going I'm to come back to this in a minute. Sorry, guys, getting there. Here it is. He said, it's funny how mortals always picture us. This is a demon, an older demon talking to a younger demon, which, you know, theoretically, no, actually, all demons were created at once, so there is no age distinction. But it's just a book that he wrote to help Christians understand how spiritual warfare happens. So the older demon is talking to the young one. He said, it's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Eclipso. What do you think it is that Satan wants to keep out of your mind? The word of God, the promises of Christ, the beauty and glory of the gospel, the endless power of the Holy Spirit that's been promised to you, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the power of being in community. He wants those things out of your mind. He wants you to think you're on your own. You are on your own. Nobody would understand this. Nobody can help you. Nobody's ever done this before. So what do you want you to think? Now, I'm going to go back a few because I forgot to mention this. Because I think some people are confused when they come to the Bible. And then we'll close with this. We're going to continue next week too. Some people are confused when they read in the Bible something's like Colossians 2. It says that Satan has been defeated. Christ on the cross and bursting out of the grave three days later put Satan to an open shame and defeated him publicly and triumphed over him. There's this... There's this uh, battle imagery of, of you crushing your opponents and triumphing, and putting your foot on their neck, chaining your victim to a chariot and dragging them through the city to the cheers and the applause of the victorious city that you represented, right? And there's that, there's that truth. In Colossians, it says, Satan has been defeated and the sting of death has been removed. Hallelujah. What a Savior, right? So people are like, good deal. 
The battle's over. There's nothing left for me to do. And then they read like the verse we read earlier, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, where be vigilant, be sober-minded, for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom you may devour. And they say, wait a second, time out. Hang on. See, that's the problem with the Bible. It contradicts itself. Has he been put to an open shame and triumphed over? Or is he a roaring lion seeking to destroy us? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. There's this tension in the Bible. And let, me, let me use an analogy to explain it. If you're, if you're a war buff, you'll get this. World War II, there was a decisive battle in that war. And it's been, it's been called D-Day, which was when the Allied forces invaded the beaches at Normandy in France. That was a pivotal battle. And when that invasion was made and was successful, um, war historians say the battle was over. The fight was, that was the most decisive point of the battle. Okay, it was done. It was finished. The Nazis were defeated. Even though there were still pockets of resurgence and there was still a lot of battle. Uh, so that day was on, D-Day was June the 6th, 1944. But do you know when V-Day was, Victory Day? It was almost a year later, on May the 8th, 1945. So hang on a minute. The battle was really over 1944, but victory wasn't declared, and a white, wa- a white, wag, white flag wasn't waved in Germany until 11 months to the day later. So what's going on? Well, that's what happened to us. The cross and the resurrection was D-Day. Okay, Satan was, he was a defeated foe. His days are numbered. But V-Day, Victory Day, we're still waiting on Christ to return and glorify us and take us home, right? So you are right, right, you're right here, man. (laughs) We're right here in the battle. Shots are being fired. Ballisto missiles are being fired against, against, against. And so God says, hey, don't be afraid. Be aware. Put this armor on that I've given you. Put on the freedoms and the benefits and the glories of the gospel. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the the belt of truth. Get the, the shield of faith up. The helmet of salvation, hand-to-hand combat, get this sword in your shield. There's weapons for you to put on. There's work for you to do. There's assembly required. And uh, this, this last point that I was going to make, I'm going to make it really, really fast and we'll be done, okay? It's, it's anguish. How does Satan get us? The first way is ignorance. There's an invisible war, and because it's invisible, it's even more easy for you maybe to just play ignorant. The second one is apathy. You're just unengaged. You're, you're, you're foxhole Norman. You're not engaged in the battle even though there's a target on your head. And here's the third one is anguish. Anguish. You just feel absolutely disheartened and overwhelmed. And I would almost say you're tempted to just surrender and say, you know what? He can do whatever he wants. If you have young children and there's electronic devices in your home, you may get a sense for what I'm talking about here. There's this, I want a device. Give me a phone. Give me an iPad. Da, 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 da. And eventually you just say, you know what? It's just easier just to give it to them. Just take the thing, it's fully charged, and go. And let mommy and daddy have some quiet time, right? Some of you aren't laughing. You don't know what I mean. That's okay. It's just an illustration, okay? Just feel like, just let him have his way. Now, you wouldn't say that. Let Satan do what he wants. But you just feel so overwhelmed. You just feel like, man, I can't. I'm paralyzed with just fear. I'm exhausted. And a lot of people feel like that right now, right now. If I, if I was going to call this, the, say, uh, Satan wouldn't let me. Sarah wouldn't let me. Sorry. Slip there. 
<laughs> Honey, I meant none of that. You know that. I was going to call this message, If I Were Satan, but it just sounds so diabolical. Like, if I were Satan, what would I do right now? Well, there's this election going on. I think I would pit people against one another, even Christians. Christians that have more red sympathies or blue sympathies, I'd say, you know what? You guys hate each other, and the true test of faithfulness is voting this way or that way. I'd do that if I were Satan. And uh, I would find a way to make this pandemic a test of faithfulness. There's mask wearers. There's non-mask wearers. There's close down the economy. There's keep the economy. I would do that. Uh, and then there's wild, I would just exhaust people. Uh, I, would, I would, let's see, the black lives matter, the blue lives matter. I would do that. <laughs> like if I was Satan, what would I do? Exactly what's going on is what I would do. And beyond that, beyond that, I would make all these global crises and tragedies so overwhelming and exhaustive that for Christians, they would have their eyes on that and they would miss Satan at home in their hearts chipping away at the foundations. Because I think that's what's happening right now. And I think a lot of Christians are just checking out. And what started as some Christians, and if you're at home and you're watching this, please don't take this the wrong way. This is just me as a pastor, the things that I'm reading, the things I'm seeing. Um, I think in the beginning, a lot of people stayed home for health reasons. And praise God, you should. If you have a compromised health or you're caring for somebody that does and you're taking your health serious, thank you for doing this. We're offering this on live service for you because we love you and that's our way of, of bearing your burdens with you. And I also think that a temptation for a lot of Christians is they're out of the habit right now coming to church. I think that's exactly what Satan wants, and he wants them to keep pushing that. Well, one day, one day we'll get back. Well, it's hard, you know, and that day become next week, becomes next week. I think that's what Satan would be doing right now. I think a lot of Christians are vulnerable, and I don't want us to be. I don't want us to be. We're not alone in this fight. We are kept, the Bible says, by the power of God. And God doesn't want us to feel overwhelmed. We have resources that he has given to us, that he's purchased for us on the cross and through the resurrection. He's given us his Holy Spirit. That's the greatest resource we have. Sarah has a friend for, for many years. She's had this friend of hers who's a believer. And she just found out that her husband has a pretty aggressive form of cancer. And Sarah's been trying to encourage her and they have children. And I think, you know, through a I don't want to exploit anything that she said in a text message, but she basically says, you know, when the, when the kids are asleep and I'm in my bed and things are quiet, I just feel overwhelmed by how in the world am I going to, how can I do this? How can I do this? And I think if I were to just take that, that could be applied to just so many believers facing the evil day. It's like, how am I going to be able to do this? And I want to tell you that the answer may hurt, but it's healthy to know this. And the answer is, you can't do this. That's what Satan, Satan doesn't want you, he, he doesn't whisper, believe in me. You know what Satan whispers? Believe in yourself. <laughs> Satan wants you to think you can do it on your own, and then he wants you to fail, and then he wants you to feel shame and guilt for that. God says, you don't have to do this alone. I don't want you to. That's foolish. I want you to put this armor on, and I am for you. And Paul writes later in another chapter, in another book, I am convinced that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. No principality, nor power. He lists fallen angels and demons in there. John says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Jesus said, nobody can snatch you out of my Father's hands. He is greater than all. Man, we have all those promises. We are not in this battle alone. You know, usually in a battle, it's the soldiers who, who, who kind of determine the outcome of the battle. But Jesus, the Bible says, and I'm closing with this, he's our captain, he's our champion. Nobody has ever had a captain like Jesus. They say that Trajan, the great 
Roman military captain, when he was on the field of battle, would take his own armor off and put it on his wounded soldiers. That's quite a thought, isn't it? Usually kings are conveniently missing from the battlefield, not Trajan. He would take his own armor off and he would put it on his wounded men. He'd tear his own garments and use them as bandages to bind up the wounds of his people. But that's nothing compared to Jesus, what he did, because he tore himself to deal with your wounds. He took the spear that was meant for you and for me and allowed it into his own heart so that all of our debts could be paid. And Paul says, put on the full armor of God that's been purchased for us because Jesus became, God became a man. Jesus became killable. He became vulnerable so that Satan would never have a claim on us. That same passage in Colossians that says, all of our debt was nailed to the cross. It's been covered. It's been paid for. Satan has no claim on us. He is a defeated foe. We can triumph over him. Romans 16 says, the God of peace. You guys know what this verse says? The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath our feet. He will soon crush Satan. V-Day is coming. And until then, let's put our armor on and enjoy the victory that Christ has already purchased for us. Because if you stand for nothing, then you will fall for anything. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this passage, for these truths. The fact that you care so much about us, Lord. Even though you have made the decisive blow to the enemy, you've dealt a crushing, defeating blow to Satan. There's still fighting going on, and you care about your soldiers, Lord. You've given us armor to protect ourselves, to to enjoy the victory that you've already secured. And I pray next week we can talk about, just from that passage in Colossians, or excuse me, Corinthians, more about what that is. Help us to not fall for, for what Satan is at work doing right now in the world, in the church, in our hearts maybe, the temptations leading us astray down a path of infidelity. Help us to stand against him and withstand his lies and his tactics and his schemes and to believe the promises of the gospel. Lord, if anybody is here and those promises are just so hazy and fuzzy and so distant and withdrawn, may they come into clear focus right now that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. God draws nears, near sinners. He is attracted to our need. He's not repulsed by it. He's drawn to it so that he can apply the finished work that he came to secure and forgive us and cleanse us and reconcile us and bring us in. And So maybe we repent of our sins this morning, Lord. Confess our neediness for Jesus. Ask for him to, to cleanse us and, and be our Savior and be our Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Kyle's going to play for us. This is our Selah song. This is our time where we, uh, we have a prayer team in the back, and we just ask you just to reflect on what you've heard and just ponder it and maybe sit quietly in your seat. There will be some lyrics, I think, up here. You can just enjoy and celebrate the, the promises that these lyrics are going are gonna to remind you of. You can go to the back and pray. You know that's one of the weapons that we have is praying always in the Holy Spirit making intercession for one another, confessing our sins to God in prayer to one another. So this is your time to do that. And then I'm going to come back up and make some announcements and we'll be dismissed. Kyle.
like this new microphone. This works a lot better than the other one does, doesn't it? The guys are like, yeah, it's a little, it lasts a little longer, though. What do you mean by that? I just have a few announcements today. If you just follow along, I'm going to let the slides determine what order I, I give them in. So uh, first up is stay connected. We have a website. By the way, you guys know we have a website, and there's a blog on that every week that's usually uh, following the sermon. It's a lot shorter. It's like, uh, you know, a thousand words or so. So if you missed the sermon, you want to get the gist of what we talked about or get it in, in writing, that's there. Uh, we also have a church center app, planning center app. There's ways you can keep up with announcements and get plugged into all the activities and events that are planned. Um, so the Grace Life website is www.gracelifeflorida.com. Um, two events that are coming up this week, actually, and because these two events are scheduled this week, we do not have regularly scheduled community groups this week, okay? So be aware of that. Tuesday night is Women Knowing God, and that's going to be held at Chris and Diane Hendricks' house, and it's going to start at 7 o'clock and end at 7.30. Did I get that right? I can't see it that far away. So Tuesday night, Men Knowing God, or Women Knowing God, uh, Right? Am I getting that right, honey? Sarah's going to share. My wife is going to share there. I think Melissa's going to share some thoughts, too. And uh, so, ladies, that is a tremendous opportunity for you to connect to other women. I know some of you have D groups. This is maybe a larger group of all the D groups gathering together, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, praying with one another, and you don't want to miss that. So, ladies, uh, Tuesday night, Diane Hendricks' house, 7 o'clock. If you need help with the address, talk to Sarah or Melissa. Or Diane, she would know too where she lives. Uh, Thursday night, Men Knowing God. Britt Carnathan is going to share with us some really exciting things. I can't wait uh, to, to hear him share. And that's going to be at Jesse and Darlene Sanchez's house. That's where we normally meet, same address. You can see me or Jesse uh, if you need help with that. But uh, different night, same time, 7 to 8.30. So this week, block off Tuesday night, Thursday night. Maybe the, if there's a husband and wife, you can take turns watching kids if kids are involved. But uh, we hope to see you guys all there. Next slide, Together for Life. Uh, yes, we partner with the Central Florida Pregnancy Center, and we have for years now. They're doing a great work over there in Deltona. And because of the COVID-19, they're not able to do their banquet in person this year. So they're going to have an online banquet. Uh, and Bill and Christy Roth have been kind enough to... You know, usually we would maybe sponsor a table at the banquet and invite some people, and then you're, you're given an opportunity to donate. But instead, this year, we're doing a watch party. And so Bill and Christy Roth have a watch party scheduled for their house. You can, can you see the date up there? Can somebody read that? November, November 13th at 7 p.m. So same time, 7 p.m., November 13th. And I think it's obviously a house, so there's limited space. So if you're interested... See Bill or Christy, or there's probably a way to sign up for that on our website or the planning center, too. So uh, thankful for that. And before we do our charge, a few other announcements. Um, one, Steve Ekman and Araceli are on, are they there yet or on the road today? They're on the road to go to, it's Alabama this time, correct? For hurricane relief, and it's still ravaged that part of the U.S. from storms and Man, uh, several of them, this is like their second or third trip, I think, with Steve. So pray for them. Uh, they're very much representing the Lord and our church. And pray for them to stay safe and, and be able to just be an effective witness there um, in their time. And uh, another couple of announcements. Patty Parks, I've been meaning to give you an update. As you know, Europe has gone back to full lockdown, which is discouraging. 
to Patty, I'm sure, because they just came out of that, and Europe has more restrictions than America does. And so she was discouraged, but she's doing better. Please pray for her. Pray for the pandemic to pass quickly and completely. Um, an update, she was needing a car, and she was needing money to purchase a car, and God provided that money, and then it was stuck in a bank. She couldn't get the money out. And so God provided a way for her to get the money out and provided a Christian for her to buy the car from. And that's a really neat story of praise. And I'm sure she'll tell us next time she's stateside. But keep praying for Patty. That's an update on her. Um, let's see. Uh, two other announcements. Uh, this Saturday night, some people may come to your house and knock on your door. That's a special opportunity that you get once a year when the world comes to you, right? Even though it's a pandemic... I can tell you a lot of kids are still going to be out looking for candy to score some candy. So uh, we're the insiders for the outsiders. And so we have a whole bunch of Grace Life cards on the table in the lobby. On your way out, please grab as many as you want. And maybe when you're given a handful of candy, throw a card in there. Who knows how God would use that? You know, it's not very intrusive. Uh, so anyway, that's for you to live on mission, get some cards on your way out. Here's the biggest announcement today. Huge praise, guys. We have been praying for years. This is year six of this school meeting in this high school, and we've got, had a, enjoyed a great partnership. All the stories I hear about churches that meet in high schools, the, the landscape is littered with conflict. We've never had that. From day one, God has blessed our partnership. We've had very understanding principals and leaders. We've had great liaisons and Matt and, uh, and Jeff Carson. And uh, God answered a big prayer for us this week. He's deepening our partnership with this school we're going to be able to use one of the prop rooms for that. This is a theater auditorium. We're going to be able to use one of the prop rooms for a classroom for K through fifth and possibly for a student ministry in the future. But it's filled up with stuff that has been collected by the school over the years. And so it needs cleaning. It needs work. It needs a lot of junk needs to be thrown away. So the school has given us permission to clean that thing out. And the art teacher met with Diane and told her what can be thrown away. And the school has rented a dumpster. So today, this is maybe last minute if you didn't read the email, today's kind of a cleanup day. We're not going to stay here that long. But if you're able to stay, please do. We have free pizza and drinks for you. If you have children, amen, hallelujah. If you have children, we have child care that's provided for your children, okay? So Prop room clean out and uh, big things happening there. Pray about that. We can't wait to share more in the future. So I think that's all we have for this morning. Thank you for coming. If you're at home, thank you for joining us. Let's all stand together. And uh, if you're wondering why we do this weird chant every week, this reminds us. We forget that we're on a mission. And uh, those aren't the enemies. You know, last week, Curtis preached a great message on love your enemies. One of the ways you can love your enemies is... View them as made in the image of God in need of restoration and reconciliation, right? There's only one enemy that you're not supposed to love. Who is it? Satan. Satan. All right, that was just a test, all right? So when you leave these doors, that's not the enemy. That's the mission field. Let's say our charge together. Say it with me. I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. Amen. You have been sent. Pizza party, work day, child care. Get some cards on the way out. We'll see you soon.
was nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare your eyes.